Welcome to the latest episode of From the B.O. End, the Burnley podcast. And this is a special one for you. It's our first episode with a guest. And what a guest we have for you this time. And uh, can't wait to get going on this one. Because Burnley fans who remember the early 1990s at Turf Moor, well, Roger Eli needs no introduction to you if you were around at that time. And today's show so should bring back some warm memories for you. For those of you who weren't yet Claret supporters at that time, we hope this show will give you some real insight into what really has to be considered a crucial period of Burnley's history. The rise out of the fourth division, culminating in that memorable title win in 1992, ended the club seven years in the bottom division and launched Burnley back on the path to the top level. It may have taken another 23 years to get to the Premier League, but without the efforts of Jimmy Mullen's team that season, including the goals of Roger Eli, that journey may never have begun. Roger scored 31 goals in 96 appearances for Burnley, but in many ways those numbers don't do justice to the significance of what he became at Burnley. Many refer to him as a cult hero, but I prefer to say he's simply one of the most loved Burnley players of our lifetimes, whose skill and flair finally brought excitement and thrills back to Turf Moor after some miserable years. Roger, welcome to the show, and I guess my first question is, how do you feel when you look back on that time? With fondness, um, I mean, when, when I look back at um, Burnley, I, I would say we're fortunate as well because I absolutely still love the place, love the club, the supporters as well. So um, it took a it took a while for me to get over, you know, when I um, when I left the club. Um, that's how deep, you know, I was fond of the club. So yeah, just loved my time there. I really did. Well, no, Andrew asked some questions to, to kick us off about, about your, your, your start as a footballer and, and the early part of your life. So, Andrew, fire away. Yeah, hi, Roger. How are, you? how are you, mate? I'm fine, Andrew. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, mate. Um, Yeah, I wanted to kind of touch on kind of early football careers because Burnley, probably aside from Crewe, was your kind of first club where you uh, it, it felt like you'd put roots down but I wanted to kind of go right back to the start if you will um to them early days as a schoolboy with Nottingham Forest and you know probably the you know top one I think he used to describe himself greatest manager of all time Mr Brian Clough now I, I know you've got some kind of memories of, of meetings with Cloughy and, and interactions with Cloughy and I think it kind of shows how much of an interest he took in all levels of Forest how did you get started at Forest, and what kind of football education did that give you? Well, you know, it's quite interesting that you you know met, you've mentioned Brian Clough. Because my son's just come in and says, "Dad, you're not going to do that Brian Clough accent, are you?" You know, because <laughs> he thinks when I talk, you know, when I do some core commentary, I turn to Brian Clough. I don't know why, but um, yeah, you know, it's it's a little bit different. But through um, schoolboy football, you know, you play for um, your city, you play for the um, play for the county. And that's when the scouts start to come. And fortunate for me, um, it was Nottingham Forest. There were at that time they were a very successful football club under obviously the great Brian Clough. Um, they had some unbelievable players at the time. And I you know, I, I look at who um to sign schoolboy forms and I had some, you know, fantastic years there as well. Yeah, and just in terms of kind of his character and 
did you, I mean, so many people, so many young kids fall by the wayside, don't they, when it comes to youth football? You know, we, we hear every year of, you know, 98% of kids never make it to a first team. And I know, obviously, you moved on to Leeds and, and, and did your YTS at Leeds as well. But what, how difficult was it for you as a young footballer in the 1980s at a club like Forest who, you know, had these, these years of success? You know what, it was, um, I think probably at that time, I didn't find any football difficult. Um, I'd never got injured and, and I just played. I played as, um, as a striker up at, um, at Forest and it was just one of those things because, you know, I'd captained me, my city, I'd captained the county and obviously, you know, you progress. I'd played for the divisional side and I'd been on the England trials and coaching courses so I was quite a confident young man. Um, so going to Nottingham Forest and teaming up with, um, if you like, back then there were probably guys from all over the country that was, you know, at um, Forest at that time. It was just a great occasion to, you know, to pick pick your wits against some of the, you know, the, the best players around. Yeah, and. After that, you moved on and you made a couple of appearances for Leeds, having signed for them as a, as a professional, your first professional contract, and then Wolves. At that point, do you, do you ever lose faith that you might not make it? I mean, you, you kind of bounced about a bit. Wolves, like I say, Cambridge United, Crew, a bit of non-league, I think, with Pontefract, your couple of appearances there, a couple of appearances at Bury, yeah. North, which, you know, it feels a very unorthodox kind of football career. It's not a kind of... Once you're in the game, that's it. You you know you're either on a trajectory or you plateau, but you stay at a league level. Did you ever lose confidence that that dream that you'd had as a kid to become a footballer would would eventually die? No, I think I never lost confidence. Um, it was frustrating because um, it was the injuries that um, crept up on me. Um, I had my first injury playing against Blackburn in the reserves, and I tore my cartilage. Um, and that set me back. That set me back about six or seven months at Leeds. And I got back, and I think I'd made me, I think I'd made my substitute debut um, under Eddie Gray. And then that season, I went and broke my leg. So that set me back another, you know, six months as well. So trying to get over that, and then I'd I'd made my full debut under Billy Bremner. Eddie had been sacked. So it was that not getting a chance to, you know, to continue to play because they were either summer or the other. And it was certainly, it was just down to injuries that seemed to just follow me around all, all the way from the career. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of big characters there in, in Graham Bremner. I, I guess as a, a young footballer, you, you kind of really rely on those experiences, don't you, that you get under those managers. I mean, those two had been mainstays in that you know those brilliant lead sides who'd won everything and you know regardless of what Cluffy felt of their ability to achieve those you know in the right way what what kind of managers were there and how did they perhaps compare to you know Brian Clough at Forest and you know Sir Alex Ferguson coming along a bit later did you kind of you know not all great players make great managers but I guess you take something from each of their experiences yeah well between Eddie and Billy, there were two different managers. I mean, obviously, Billy was the captain of the club and he'd gone away and he'd done the, I think he'd been, at, he might have been at Hull, he'd been at Doncaster, Doncaster Rovers. But Eddie, Eddie was probably, I would say, probably more like the modern day manager. He was, um, it was, 
it was calm, um, very tactical, and you know what you always expected, certainly from the young lads, that you you didn't just go home like these days. Will go home and play on the Xbox. You know, even on your days off, I used to expect you to come in and be with a ball. So Eddie was passion, passionate about developing players. So, you know, around about that time, there was an incredible crop of youngsters that I would say that Eddie at the time had developed. Billy was a little bit different. He brought in one or two players in from, from Doncaster. And so he wasn't bringing the players that Eddie had nurtured. So there was a massive difference, but they're both obviously brought a lot to Leeds United, but I would say, you know, Eddie would definitely have suited, you know, the modern game. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And just in terms of kind of, you know, your career at that point, and you mentioned the injuries and things, um, did you ever kind of envisage kind of the, the status that you, you'd achieve at Burnley? I know we're going to talk about your time at Burnley a little later on, but I, I guess that kind of frustration of not being able to, kind of show you your your potential, your worth, yeah. etc. Did you ever envisage that kind of, you know, the next move may be the one that gets you there, you know, and it, it may have taken you several moves to get to that Burnley level, but did you ever imagine that through all those injuries and then frustrations that you'd get to that level that, you know, you, you're holding such high regard by the Burnley fans? Well, do you know, I mean, firstly, I was, um, I was a Leeds United fan. So to play for Leeds United and to walk into Ellen Road and, and see the characters, some of them were still around and Eddie used to bring them in, you know, like for a Friday session, you know, your, your Mick Bates and David Darby came back and Peter Lorimer and they were always my idols. So to be playing with players like that and I played in the reserves at centre-back alongside Kenny, Kenny Burns for a season. So to actually do that, it was, it was immense. But to your point... I thought I was going to do it at Leeds United. I thought the injuries would um, phase out, um, but it wasn't to be, you know, like like every young boy's dream, you know, I, I think it was Sunday soccer on the, um, at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, you know, watching Leeds United and the great Arsenal teams and Manchester United, you know, I envisioned wearing that white and playing 200, 300 games for Leeds United. So, you know, you just hope all the time. That's that's you know, that's all I could have you know really wished for and hoped for. So you got your chance, uh, Roger, at Burnley. Um, I think Justin, you have some questions about how that came about and what it, what it, the, the moment that uh, Roger started playing for Burnley in his first few seasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to know how that how that transfer came about. Who who made the call? What did did they have to persuade you? You know what what did they, what promises did they make? Well, I was at Berry at the time, and Frank Casper, he was the um, assistant to Martin Dobson. So, yeah, so I was training with the first team. It was a strange one actually because I was training the first team, but Berry at that time had a really strong side, and I were playing in the reserves. I think I've been on the bench a couple of times. I might have made an appearance, and. I mean, the, as the story goes, um, I was in the first team squad at the time and I was late for a, for a meeting before the game and that were it for me. Um, Martin had then um, sent me out to Northwich on loan um, to the end of the season. And by the time I'd got back, Martin had been, Martin had lost a job and I think Sam Ellis had come in 
he obviously, you know, he didn't want me. And then I was, I was fortunate that Frank had seen me play, obviously playing in the reserves and, and training and he brought me into, um, into Burnley. So that was just a stroke of luck really. And to be honest, you know, I, I can't thank Frank enough for that. And that, and that first period at Burnley was, was, was it frustrating for you? Yeah, I remember you played in quite a few different positions. It was frustrating because I went there as a centre-back and to be honest, I went at Berry as a centre-back. I played at Leeds as a centre-back. I played at Leeds as a right wing. I played at Leeds as a striker and in midfield. So I could play in a number of positions. Um, but when I went to Burnley, I kind of adopted this style where I was this hard man or tried to be this hard man and it just wasn't me. Um, you know, I could always recover. You know, not many people getting behind me. But it took a while and I think just for the grace of God that I switched and, you know, I started playing in midfield and then that switch to up front kind of settled me down a bit, you know, where, you know, I could use the talents that, you know, that got me actually into professional football. I think I'd like to talk a little bit about the 90-91 season before we get on to the glory of the following season because I think that, is a really pivotal season for for Burnley Football Club. Uh, uh, you know, it was, it was like the first sort of hint of any kind of level of success after the dark times of the eighties. Um, you know, despite the fact that yeah. we eventually missed out on promotion, we finished sixth. Obviously, you we 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 lost to Torquay in the in the in the playoffs. Um, but we're only sort of four years out from when the club nearly went out of the football league. So. I'm interested to know what what was the mood like at the club at the time. Was it was it somewhere that felt like like really good times were just around the corner, or, or was it a surprise that we got into the playoffs that year? Yeah, do you know now you've mentioned it. I thought we finished higher, but you're right, we finished sixth. I think it. I think we started slow that season. Um, but I think he. I think Frank had moved um, me around, and I think he put John pushed John Francis out wide, and I twinned with. Um, Ron Futcher. Yeah, the mood the mood weren't bad. You know, like what you were saying, there was rumbles. Um, we, you know, if we could win one, two, three games on the trot. But I think it was the back end of the season where it started it started going going well for us. Um there were an absolutely fantastic team spirit. Um Ron Futcher was quite pivotal in that. Um I mean everybody at that time you know, there were Ron, there was um, Ray Deakin, who were the experienced players, Joey Jacob. And it was quite, it's quite interesting because Frank relied on them a lot. You know, Frank was a fantastic coach, a fantastic manager, but he had the experienced players that kind of just sort of get, got everything going really that season. That was certainly your best season at Burnley up to that point. I think you scored 10 goals that season, even though you didn't start that many games until the sort of second half of the season. Was that was that where it all started to click with you playing up front? Was that like your breakthrough was, year? Yeah, I would. Do you know what I would say? So I were a little bit frustrated that I didn't play more. Um, I mean, the club had paid money for John. I was frustrated, don't get me wrong. I wanted to play. I think I could have played earlier and probably contributed a lot more earlier. But do you know what? You know, sometimes you have to buy your time. And and I did. And it, it did all come together. Um, like I said earlier, I shuffled the front line. They brought Stevie Harper in. 
and it seemed to work well because we were all quick. Um, Ron Futcher had the know-how, the experience, and and he could score goals. Um, and me and Ron were big mates, and we were um, they were me my room partner and you know what he kind of nurtured me to be honest so i owe a lot to Futch as well you know and what was frank casper like as a manager was he was he sort of a, a tactician or a motivator or all those things yeah frank was you know what frank was very similar to eddie gray um i mean obviously with frank's career the way frank could play you know we used to see him in training he used to take the shooting shooting practice and he, he was second to none. So, you know, we had the utmost respect for him and he had the respect for us. Um it was it was absolutely fantastic. Um tactical, brilliant. Um first he worked with um, Mick Doherty. Um it worked quite well and then he brought in Jimmy, which there was there were two different characters. Um and I think it did work for a period, you know, a time that yeah, but then, and then and then we sort of get to the end of that that season, the disappointment of losing in the playoffs, and then quite a lot of those old stages, the veterans that you've you've mentioned before, players like uh, you know Ron Futcher, Neil Grucock, who's a big name in in, in Burnley's history, uh, Ray D. Kane and Steve Davis, the first Steve Davis, they all <laughs> they all they all leave at the end of that season. Um, what what was the what was the mood around that was that kind of a was that kind of a, a negative at the time or was it felt that, that like there was a, a new a new broom needed and a bit of a freshening up of the squad just to just to get we up over the line because I think we only missed out on actual automatic promotion by a point that year. Yeah, I, if I'm honest, I don't think they needed a new broom. Um, sometimes at the end of the season, you don't know why players leave. You know, certainly need well all the players that you've mentioned. Um, in my opinion, if um, like Ray left, Ray Deakin, I would have loved to see Ray stay at the club. You know, if Ray had been youth team manager, that would have been absolutely fantastic. And I do know that Futch, um, they wanted him to stay, but if Futch had stayed, Mike Conroy wouldn't have probably come in. So, you know, it did work, but it was sad to see some of these, these older players go because they were absolutely fantastic. I think there was a Steve Davis left and another Steve Davis arrived that summer, if I'm if I'm right, yeah. Do you, do you know what? I forgot I forgot about Swede the Steve Davis because blimey, he was I mean, he was a captain. He was a fant he was just absolutely brilliant around the ground. So we had a you know, we had a, a, a real mix of um gentlemen, jokers, you know, absolutely brilliant. But when they all came together, the likes of Steve Davis, who was the captain, you know, you know, you led by example, did Steve? You were, you were absolutely fantastic. Chris, I know that season, 91-92, we all have fond memories of that. Uh, some of us will have been at, at York City for that famous night where Roger, I believe, was wearing a very sharp suit that night, if I remember. But uh... <laughs> I think, um, I don't know if you're allowed to say, it, it were a bit of a flasher mat that I had on. I had me um, the trench coat, which was trendy back then. <laughs> But Chris, you, you, you've got some, you know, fond memories of of that time. I think you were working at the Burnley Express by then, were you? Not quite. Well, I was only I was sixteen the summer of ninety one. You, know, you, you always say like you, you, your favourite music of that period sticks with you, and certainly the football of that period sticks sticks with me certainly. But uh, 
remember, obviously, Steve, you're the second Steve Davis coming in as a young man from uh, from Southampton. And uh, I say, obviously, Mickey Conroy arrived. And uh, but uh, before before that, it all uh, there was there was a there was a certain trip to to Russia, wasn't there, Roger? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, very interesting. Actually, I found some. Um, the only pictures that I actually, well, I, I think I must have taken about a thousand pictures, but there were only two that, you know, possibly came out. And I found them the other day, and do you know what? It brings back a lot of memories. It was, I would say, getting there was grim. But the hotel was grim, the food was grim, but that's what set the season <laughs> off because we only had ourselves. You know, we trained, we played, but there was nothing else to do. I mean, some of the boys like to drink the vodka, but apart from that, that's when we all got together. And I thought that's when the strength and the um, the bonding started. Obviously, that took us through to that season. Yeah. How did the trip come about? Was that something that the chairman organised or you'd had an offer from, you know, was it Dynamo Stavropol, I think you played? And... Yeah, I think I think the season before, I think we might have played a Russian team. Um but there was some there was some connection. Um, but to, to be honest, I'm pleased that I went because you know the Russian people were absolutely great. I mean, to see fifteen to twenty lads walking down the high street wearing shell suits, bright red shell suits, you know, and then you know Russian people following us because they've probably never seen anything like it. You know, it was it was brilliant, and they were so friendly. They were absolutely brilliant. The captain of um, Stavropol, a boy called Sergei, I remember, you know, he were inviting us to his house. He were cooking meals for us. He were absolutely brilliant. And it kind of just shows that, you know, we are all friends, aren't we, really? You know, they were absolutely brilliant people, you know. So from that side of it, it was a great experience. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, see, you know the start of the season, you know, a bit, bit up and down, and uh, I think Andy Marriott and Mark Yates came in before a, you know, a, a super win at, at, at Doncaster. But uh, I think it was a, a, the defeat at Scarborough, and then all of a sudden Frank was uh, Frank was on his way, wasn't he? Yeah, it was an interesting one. That it was, I think it was a bit out of the blue. Um, I think at that time that might have been the first time Graham Lancaster started scoring, which were great. But we were expected to beat Scarborough. Um, it were a bit noisy when we were in the dressing room. You know, the Claret fans, they weren't happy. I wasn't really sure what went on. Um, I was disappointed when Frank left. I really was. I think most of the boys were. But, you know, it was certainly out of our control. You know, we were disappointed because, you know, at the end of the day, if a manager leaves, it's usually down to the players. And I think we knew that, you know. Um, no matter how he sets us up, you know, you know, we can still work hard. We can still, if you like, take us chances. And I think certainly that period, it probably got to Frank really, which which was sad. Sad. Yeah. So you were you were already this sort of band of brothers, if you will. But you know, you mentioned you know Lank, Lanky Lanky came in and started scoring, and uh, also he was yourself, John and uh, and and Mick Conroy. But so, something clicked, didn't it? Because obviously you went on a remarkable run of wins, and you know the, a, a run that sort of. Uh, establish you as the front runners and you never really look back well i think what it was i mean with frank the way frank has set us up i mean we were quite we like to keep the ball with frank but with jimmy 
he straight away changed it. I mean, we had pace up from there were myself, um, Mike Conroy, John Francis, and Stevie Harper. We went direct when we could. So, you know, to be fair to Jimmy, you were very, very clever, very um, tactical. Because if anybody came in tight, we knew where the fullbacks were going to play it and it would be in the channel. And John, obviously, with his pace and Stevie Harper, and if me and Mickey were ever in those wide positions, I think even then in that season, you know, we were probably setting up chances for each other, you know. So it was the pace that did it and it was the switch that Jimmy made, which were really pivotal, to be honest. Yeah, and obviously obviously, people remember, you know, like John Deary, a fantastic servant for the club. But you look at, I always remember looking at the quality that A.D. Randall had and thought he, oh, yeah. he could have played a lot higher, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think I played against Eddie a few times when he were at Aldershot. And you could see back then he was so talented. I think just before he came to us, he'd been at Sheffield Wednesday. And I think they were just short of signing him. Because, I mean, he had immense talent. He was absolutely incredible. Um, probably could have been a little bit more switched on. I don't think he realised how <laughs> good he was. Um but he certainly was a talented player. He really was. Um, probably just missed, probably not starting at a top club with a little bit of discipline um, because he shouldn't have been playing in the fourth division, that's for sure, you know. Yeah, is that the nickname, Spaceman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, an, that's another nickname by um, John Deary. But his nickname was um, Eric. We used to call him Eric after Eric, Eric Cantona because... He was just so similar in looks as well at that time, you know. So every time we seen him, it was just Eric, you know. So it, do you know what? He was a pleasure to to play and train with because he had real talent. He really did. Where, where did Lofi come from then? <laughs> well, I think that were a Blackpool nickname. Um, yeah, so he came uh, he came to Burnley with that with that nickname. I think he, something about his. His hairstyle was shaped like a loaf of bread. I don't know where they got that <laughs> one from, you know. <laughs> it's, it's one of, uh, I can remember, not, not long after I'd started at the paper and uh, I was with my, my boss, Edward, at the time and Edward had said, oh, can, you know, can I, have, uh, can I have two minutes, John, after the game? And he just said, they said, listen, just write what the hell you want. Just don't make me look like a see you next Tuesday sort of thing is <laughs> <laughs> good value but uh, no but uh, I said look at look at that so the sort of you know real standout moments sort of obviously as a team but personally I mean I, I, for yourself I remember that <laughs> remarkable game with Blackpool at Turf Moor and that 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 magnificent goal you scored and and obviously the, everyone remembers the header past uh, you know, Peter Shilton, who, you know, a couple of years earlier was playing in a World Cup semi-final. But they sort of stand out for you as well. Yeah, they do. Um, I mean, the season before, actually, when we played Blackpool, I think we beat them, I think we beat them 2-0. Yeah, I think we beat them 2-0. I mean, those games against Blackpool, certainly at Turf Moor, are all big occasions. Um, and that day where I was fortunate to score that goal, um, yeah, Stand out because obviously there were a big rivalry, probably not just with the clubs, um, with teammates, other guy um, at the back, Gary Briggs, and you know <laughs> we did like to, um, you know, 
if you like, wind each other up. So, yeah, there were rivalry. It was great to score that game because I think there were, um, there were two two of the, two teams that were going for promotion or were tipped for promotion. And obviously the FA Cup goal against Peter Shilton, do you know what? It was a cross that made it. That's all I'm going to say. Mike's cross were absolutely <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> But I think everyone remembers one of the opposition lads that day. There was a certain Ted McMinn played for Derby and won a lot of people's hearts that day. And obviously, obviously ended up at, at Burnley uh, a couple of years later. But uh, so he, he was a different class on and off the pitch, wasn't he, Roger? Yeah, he was. He's another one, isn't he? He's he's one of them players, and you kind of think you can see why he played played you know played in the Scottish Prem. He were a fantastic footballer. Um, and he was obviously, he was obviously at Derby. Yeah, what a player! Um, do you know, unfortunately, I didn't get to play with him much at Burnley because, you know, with my injury. Yeah, so I missed probably my time with Ted McMahon. I'd love to have played with him. Um, I played a bit with Ayersy. David Ayers were another one as well. You see, who was an immense talent as well. And do you know what? I'm, I'm talking about these players, but players in 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 that championship side. You know, you've only got to train with them to realise how good they were. And somebody made a comment. It was um, Peter Smith. Um, he said, he looked back at some of the, the old videos back then, the footage, and he couldn't believe the talent on the pitch. And I suppose at that period of time, um, through Jimmy, through Frank, through the recruitment, they did bring some good players in, you know. So, we, so I was fortunate to play with them. Yeah, I'd say it was an exciting brand of football as well as, well as the winning, you know, winning league's great as, as we all know. But you know, just as we've seen this last season, it's it, it's it's nice when you can do it in a in, in a pleasing manner as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know what? It was it was actually it was actually nice to um to pl- you know to play in that to play that way because we knew that we would score goals and we knew that we create. I mean, John Deary. I think John Deary were probably. 10 goals a season, you know, from midfield. Um, and he's probably known as probably a, a holding midfield. So so John used to chip in with goals. So we all knew that there were goals in us and it was probably more an attacking an attacking format. Um, it made it easier having, gosh, big John Pender at the back and Stevie Davis because them two were rocks. They were... You know, even in training, the pair of them, they would there'd be no half measures with them, you know, because they they were physical boys and the two fullbacks, so they made it easier. You know, they they created the platform for us, really, to be honest. Yeah, was there a moment? You, 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 you certainly you just thought this is this is us. We're champions now. I mean, there's obviously you got to go out and, and do it. And there was the day at Carlisle and you know the night at, at, at York, but. You know, over the second half of that season, do you think we've, we've cracked this? We're on our way. Do you know what? I don't think. Um, I think certainly through the pre the previous year, but I don't think we were ever that confident. We just wanted to keep that momentum. We wanted to stay, you know, at the you know at the summit. We wanted to be there. But I don't think there was anybody, to be honest. With that group of players, you could not be overconfident because, like we said, we were all like a band of brothers, but the banter in there, if anybody got above the station, they absolutely got, you know, ripped. And <laughs> that's what probably kept us all level-headed, which were which were absolutely fantastic, to be honest. 
Yeah, and I, I presume that that night at York still brings chills, does it? It's just just you know the commentary. You know, everyone's seen the video. You know the Clive Tilsley commentary. You know they came to York in the thousands. They're going home as champions. It, it, it's still magnificent. Thirty odd years on. Yeah, it's um, you know absolutely brilliant. And watching a month or so back, watching Burnley get promoted, um, you know seeing seeing that brought back that night at York because you know I mean I walked in I followed because I were injured there I followed the the coach so I walked down amongst um you know the Burnley supporters and it was just absolutely incredible it wasn't you know it was just claret wasn't it it was just unbelievable yeah. around you know Booth and Crescent it was just fanatical I think that's um that's a word that I can use and you know, my, my only sadness, if even if I could have been on the bench and I could have got on there, or, yeah. you know, even played, that was my only sadness. But do you know what? To be part of that, to see the supporters, it was, you know, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Well, so I hope 17 goals for yourself and a, and a title medal. It's, it's not a bad year, is it? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm a, I'm a pleased with that. I, I, you know, I am pleased. Um, I'm pleased to have made a contribution. Do you know what? Everybody likes scoring goals, but I equally got um, as excited of trying to create goals as well to win penalties, mm. um, to win, to, you know, to win free <laughs> kicks to give us, to give us, you know, to give us a chance. Um, these days, they're called assists. I would have been happy with them because winning and getting Burnley promotion was. <laughs> it's only when you finish and you realise, well, come on, Rod, you could have probably got 30 that season or you could have got, yeah. you know, 25 the following season. But at that time, it's more to me about getting Burnley promoted um, and winning matches, you know. And should I say, winning at all costs because I liked a little bit of um, gamesmanship. I didn't mind that at all. Um, you know, you, I'd get pulled up for it these days, but... No, certainly at that time, no, I wanted to win. And to be honest, at, time, at, at times, they were about winning. That's all I cared about. Yeah. So just the last one from me. Obviously, everyone remembers the era. Remember your, your, the, the haircut, the secret weapon T-shirt, your, the, the bird muck kit, shall we call it. But it, to, for it to get replicated last year, you, you even modelled it, didn't you, last, last summer? So that must have been a, a proud moment to be to be welcome back for that. Yeah, do you know what? I was fortunate yesterday in one of Burnley's greatest seasons uh, with Phil Bird. I did some co-commentary, which is always a pleasure and brilliant. And Veronica Simpson had me back for um, for that unveiling of the shirt. And do you know what? I was, I've been so fortunate. And to do that um, in a season, you know, I w yeah, I was so proud. That, that kit, that kit, Stands the test of time, and for it, you know, a similar kit to be promoted back into the Premiership is absolutely brilliant. Really good. Yeah, at that time, uh, me and Woody used to work in a, a textile warehouse uh, just outside Burnley, where they made that kit, and they used to, we used to get the offcuts from it. So we'd actually we we used to go oh, on the turf wearing, wearing these things round as like bed sheets. They were like. <laughs> But uh, I mean, I'm just I'm just curious at that time that around that time of that derby game, especially there was a kind of 
Eli mania was going on, wasn't there amongst the Burnley fans? I mean, the chance you got, you got the biggest chance for a while. <laughs> Everyone, when you got the ball, there was a buzz about the place. I mean, you, you must have picked up on that. It seemed like, you know, you'd, you'd instantly become the crowd favourite there. Did, did you feel that? Do you know what? It was when 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 you set out to be a footballer. Certainly, if you're a striker, because I was a striker, you practice your celebration, you practice your autograph, and you want to be recognised by supporters. So I actually got everything probably over those last two seasons, and that was me as a complete footballer. Of course, I would have liked them to have been in the top division and then getting in the car and then meeting up with the England, the England party. But no, for me, being at Burnley at that time, that is a, everything that I dreamed of. Yeah. And obviously your career did, did end a little bit before it should have done with, with all the injuries. That must have been, that yeah. must have been quite difficult to sort of handle on a personal level, having, having your career cut short, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it did. It's like I said, my first injury was at 18 and I'm, you know, I managed I managed to get what I got out of it. Do you know what? When I think back, it's hard to actually, you know, to talk about it. Could I have done anything, things different? I'm not sure. But I managed to get what I got out with, um, with not a lot of bend in my right knee. So I couldn't, you know, I managed to adopt a running style and still managed to keep some pace. You know, I would always come, always ice it after every, every training session and every match. So what I got, and when I finished, yeah, it was disappointing, but to try and drag myself um, after after coming back from China, it would have been far too hard because I were in far too much pain after um, after matches and, and training sessions. So you went to play in China, yeah? Yeah, I went to play in China. It was it was great at the time because I was the biggest player on the pitch. It was brilliant, you know. Um, the Chinese boys were absolutely great. The people. Again, like Russia, absolutely brilliant. Um, and it's kind of strange because, you know, they're wanting to, to know who we are. They, you know, inviting us to the houses, giving us presents. They were absolutely brilliant. Um, I am so, you know, I would have, don't get me wrong, I'd have rather stayed at Burnley, of course I did. But I'm glad I did experience Chinese football and the culture. It was, you know, that set that set me up to to understanding that we're, we are all the same. You know, we all sit down, um, we sit down with with the Chinese players. Um, they they used to teach us, you know, the language. I used to teach teach them the, you know, the English language. It was just absolutely fantastic, you know. And then, when when you when you've ended your football career, you mo you moved into business. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but you know what? Before that, you know, I mentioned sh shell suits in Russia. I probably sold those shell suits to the to the Burnley players because that's what I did when I played. So on the day off, we used to we used to go up to um, to Sunderland to a warehouse and we used to buy sports gear. Then we used to distribute it. That's another name for selling it. So I used to. That's where I got my you know my first um, run into into you know, sort of business without the complications. It was fairly, it was fairly easy and fairly steady then. And then, obviously, when I retired, I went into, into, into business. Um, it was textiles, like you mentioned, Simon. Um, but it was top end worsted 
men's suitings. So we used to manufacture that with a, a good friend of mine um, who were a Burnley supporter. And I met it, I met Ken. I think we were playing Rochdale. It might be my second season, and we'd been friends um, for a good twenty years. So I I went to I went to university to, to learn a bit about about textiles. Ken was already the um, the, the textile designer, so we manufactured them and then sold them into into um, Savile Row, Kensington, Regent Street and exported as well so i did that for a good few years so i enjoyed that i really did let's just talk a little bit now because you, you mentioned in working uh with with phil bird on on the core comms for the clarets player and and we've seen you around turf more modeling the kits and 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 and, and, and being at the matches last season i mean we, we were talking about this on our first show about whether we did whether we expected, what did we expect out of that season with Vincent Company? When you saw so many, such a massive turnover of players in the summer, so many good players leaving and then new faces come in, did you did you expect anything like what what we got last season? And what were your impressions of that campaign? Well, I was fortunate to do the first game of the season away from Huddersfield, and I think that we, myself and Phil, we both said that what an amazing turnaround we've. You know, so many different players in. Um, but one thing for sure, that Vincent Company, he must have a really good recruitment network because he brought those players and the transition in from one style, you know, to, to his was very, very quick. From there, I've noticed he's a leader. People bought into him. And, you know, you could tell that something were brewing, certainly that game and... You know, the season that they had, you know, it never stopped, did it? It was absolutely amazing. Amazing. And what about next season, looking ahead? Do you think they need to strengthen a lot? Or or, or is that squad good enough? If they can, obviously, there's loan players that they've got to sort out whether they're going to be staying or not. But do you think it's the core of that squad's good enough to stay up? You know, they've got they've got a good core. Um, have they got the experience? I'm not sure. Um, I would say they definitely need some experience i'm not sure how the budget works and the and, and, and you know the wages but they would definitely need i would say they'd need a couple of strikers um hopefully they can get nathan teller in um and i would say they probably need an experience or two midfield players but that's just my opinion but his recruitment is is brilliant so i would say it's probably he's probably you know two months three months if we're honest, we knew that the Clarets were going to get promoted. He's probably already working. And his connections with, obviously, Manchester City and with his experience, you know, and just the man himself, I'm pretty sure he'll, he'll do some really good loan deals as well. Have you had a chance to meet him at all, Vincent? No, unfortunately. You know, I would love to meet him, but just seeing what he's doing at Burnley is absolutely fantastic because... You know, it comes across as, you know, somebody that I'd have loved to have worked, you know, under. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the, the, the young players there are, are relishing it, you know, because, I, you know, I've read that they're back already. And that just, that just shows, doesn't it? You know, you've got, you know, you've got to put in the hard work and then you'll get the success. And it's going to be definitely hard next season. But 
you know, I think they, I think they will get some success. You know, I really do. Yeah, and it's a positive attitude for him as well. You think they're going to go in and, and give it a go? It's not going to be battling down for survival from word go. I think I think it'll be going to be an interesting one to finish off. Woody has got some quick fire questions, so just need some short answers to these, Roger. Just some a little bit of fun to finish off with. Woody, away you go with your quick fire round. Thanks, it's like a striker Christmas album. Uh, <laughs> so started off with which, which fo- footballer, Roger? Did you most want to be growing up? And which footballer would you want to be now? Uh, footballer growing up, um, like I said, I played in probably as a striker. <laughs> Definitely, I used to love the Dutch. I used to love Johan mm-hmm. Cruyff. Absolutely. Well, I was fortunate to not, well, get his autograph. He stayed five, the, the Barcelona team stayed five minutes away from what, where I lived. They trained in Bradford when they were playing Leeds United, I'm not sure what year it was in the European Cup semi-final. So I got Cruyff, Nieskins, Johnny mm-hmm. Rep. So it was definitely a Johan Cruyff. And obviously the Leeds players, Eddie Gray. Eddie Gray would have won. Excellent. And what advice would you give your younger self about either being a footballer or a businessman, looking back on it today? Well, cer- certainly as um, from a footballer, um, Bit of a difficult one because to be honest, I weren't a drinker. I always trained excessive, probably trained too much. Maybe that. Um, what I would do from a playing side is probably not get. Um, I wish I hadn't have got into that old leads mode and become that physical player. I wish I'd mm-hmm. have continued to carry on the way I started into the game and where I finished at Burnley, where my strengths were, you know, what I did offer. Um, that would be the only thing. Stay away from that physical side. You're coming back on the coach from York, from Boothman Crescent, having just won the championship. What two songs are you putting on a playlist? Well, two songs. Well, everybody, in fact, I used to get the morning groans. <laughs> um, I used to be into Luther Vandross and um, Freddie Jackson and all that 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 love <laughs> stuff, but it had to be um, simply the best by Tina Turner. I think the the club were playing it at that time, and it was that that period was Tina Turner simply the best because. The players at yeah. that time, you know, that's all we strive for, to be the best. And and I suppose we got promoted, we won the title. So, you know, the name's in the song, isn't it? You kind of deserve it, absolutely. And if you could be remembered for just one thing. Um, I'd like to be remembered one thing, that I gave everything. I, that's what that's what I'd like to be remembered. I gave everything. Um, mm-hmm. I watch football now, and yeah, not everybody. And it's something Eddie Gray told me that even him with his unbelievable skills, if it, his touch wasn't on on the day, whatever you must always do is give everything. And if I can remember that I gave everything, I'll be happy with that. 
Well, thanks very much indeed for that, Roger. That's been a really, really fascinating uh, 50 minutes or so we've had there. Really enjoyable to go down memory lane a little bit and also touch upon Burnley at the moment. I think on behalf of all, all the team here, thanks very much indeed for your time. And hopefully, uh, hopefully during the Premier League season, we can maybe uh, come back on another time and review how things are going for Vincent and the boys. Oh, absolutely. You know, I kept it clean there, by the way, didn't I? I kept it clean. I didn't. I didn't tell any stories. <laughs> but no, absolutely brilliant, guys. Thank you. It's um, it's always a pleasure to do anything for Burnley. I really enjoy it. All right, all the best, and we'll be back soon with another episode of From the BLN, available on all the podcast channels that you love, and we're also on Twitter and Facebook, and other channels coming soon. Thanks very much indeed, and speak to you again soon.